Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. On the show today, BuzzFeed introduces AI-generated content. We find out how journalists are reacting. There seems to be bad economics at the BBC as an internal review finds the Beeb's coverage of financial topics is putting impartiality at risk. And companies like Netflix and Disney have seen their first ever annual audience decline in the UK. So are viewers streaming away? Plus, it's the Ray Jars. Adam Bowie's here to unpack the good and bad fortune in the latest radio numbers. And to commemorate that, the media quiz is also a radio special. We'll find out who's going on air and off air. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. In news this week, Spotify reported its fourth quarter and full year's earnings, with operating expenses growing at twice the speed of its revenue. Spotify CEO Daniel Ek acknowledged, I probably got a little carried away uh, with more than £800 million funneled into its podcast business in 2022. That's probably right. He also indicated that in 2023, uh, it's going to be a year for slowing down and allowing revenue to catch up with its investments. However, saying that, they've just signed Louis Theroux to move his podcast to the streamer. Uh, Sky has commissioned 12 new programs for 2023, including a documentary on Mark Zuckerberg entitled Zuckerberg, King of the Metaverse. Uh, Meanwhile, in Twitter product roulette, the firm is turning off co-tweets, a feature that allow Twitter users to author and publish tweets in tandem. But on today's show, I have two media experts here to help us digest the biggest stories of the week. First up, we have TV critic and star of podcast and radio show must watch uh, Scott Bryan. Scott, you're out in Liverpool for the allocation draw and handover ceremony for Eurovision yesterday. What went on? Oh, my word. It was absolute nonsense of just the uh, greatest degree. Because basically there's a ceremony um, traditionally when the host city gets a giant set of keys, massive set of keys from the previous host city that also contains previous keys from other previous host cities. And it's like just a whole tradition and a world I'd never known. Um, there was the head of the EBU there, which sort of made me just feel incredibly excited because it felt like I was meeting God. And I think the best bit about it is that there is these there's these sort of bowls and from there they announced the order of what countries will be performing in in the semi-finals i didn't even know this sort of allocation draw existed but alas because we're now hosting it that is just how it is 
somebody then pulled out you know uh, the country Norway and then the idea is they threw it into the bin afterwards because you know, it was all agreed where they were in the standings and they were sort of picked out of these bowls an hour later I'm with somebody from Liverpool City Council rummaging through the bins <laughs> trying to find a country <laughs> I then get given the one from Norway I'm in a panic she's like what country do you want to go for and I'm like San Marino no actually nothing against San Marino it's a great country anyway I just randomly chose Norway and I just took it home as a memento and now it's above my door. So it's, um, yeah, that was fun. So, so are you already backing Norway for this year? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I posted it to Twitter, like the, the, the Norway sort of sign. And then somebody says, does this mean that you're the Norwegian entrant? Is this, is this now official? <laughs> so um, I have to come up with a song in, uh, for three minutes. But um, it is very exciting. I think like one very quick point, because I can talk about this for half an hour and I, and I will, is... It's very rare, I think, where you see absolutely everyone in the same room at this big event, which has uh, officials, Tim Davy from the BBC, all the way down to like council members and just people who are just excited. It's very rare to have an event where there is a real semblance of once in a lifetime feeling, because the last time we were hosting mm. it was 25 years ago, but also a feeling of, oh my word, we've never done this before at the same time. It's like a great kind of energy of anxiety and joy simultaneously. And I think that would be great to see, see it spill out over the next few months. And also joining us is Charlotte Tobit of the Press Gazette. Uh, so what's been breaking news in the Press Gazette newsroom uh, over the last few days? Hi, Matt. Yeah, some of the um, big news that's just broken a few hours before we're talking is that they're shutting Gorka again. Um which sucks. So the the owner now, BDG Media, um, is cutting eight percent of staff and shutting Gorka, which is you know quite a unique brand. I was reading something earlier about where it ranked all of the US news publishers on TikTok, and that was very funny. So that sort of thing I think will be missed. But yeah, um, it comes just a few days after we tallied up all of the news media layoffs that had happened so far in January and it's already you know at least a thousand so yeah it's a bit depressing and you know first of February we're sort of all beginning February's tally already so yeah sorry sorry to come at you with some depressing news. No I mean Gork has really sort of been through it over the years hasn't it and um, it'd be fascinating to see does it get res- resurrected again does it go back to Nick Denton after all to just to, to restart it? <laughs> I think the trouble is you know similar to BuzzFeed, um, various struggles and things like people got very excited about all this digital media. Um, You know, there was a bit of a bubble a few years ago and that's definitely burst. And and the CEO of um, Gorkazona said, you know, we can't push millions of dollars into a pre-monetization product. And I just thought that phrase was very sort of distant from the fact that it's people working on it but yeah that's where we are yeah pre-monetization is definitely more of a dot com i've launched a new product i'm just bothered about audience but for something that's probably been around for nearly 20 years in various forms seems slightly odd right off to our first story um and this is at the bbc a report commissioned by them into impartiality has found that many viewers don't understand coverage of topics including public spending and government debt and while bbc journalists were cleared of political bias 
The report suggested that the real issue is a gap in journalists' expertise in finance. Now, the BBC reviewed 11,000 pieces of online TV and radio content plus social media posts from October 2021 to March 2022 and spoke to around 100 people inside and outside of the BBC. It's kind of good that they're doing it. Scott, what was your take? I mean, this is something that Tim Davey, uh, the Director General, has been very much pushing since the start of since the start, start of his job there very much kind of given the idea that the BBC has to be seen to be accountable for everybody and I think this will be one in many um, reports that are coming out I mean I can't really go into the details in, in regards to this report just because I completely failed my economics module at uni and had to come back during the summer to retake it so for me to come out with a point giving an indication about how well other people have been doing their jobs I think would be a bit rich but I think sometimes I wonder even though these reports can be inherently a good thing because it might point out biases that could be evident in reporting that people don't really think of an unintended consequence could be that it gives ammunition to those who think the BBC are already kind of with one side outright over another. You know, it only points out a few flaws being pointed out in a report for then people who don't like the BBC anyway to then say, oh, look, now we've got conclusive proof because this, that and the other, even if the report generally says the BBC is not siding on one particular political opinion. So I think that, that sometimes I wonder, even though this comes from an inherently good place, is the BBC essentially having a report pointing out weaknesses in itself going to actually make it more hard for the BBC going forward? Mm. I was interesting on economics and you sort of say there about your own worries about your own economic education. Uh, there was a, a quote from James Medway, who's director of the Progressive Economy Forum. Um, and he said, you know, how might the last decade of British politics have been if the public had been better informed about economics you know particularly obviously look at look at brexit now it's not entirely down to the bbc to to fix the nation's problems but it does show mm. the value of a public broadcaster and what it can do if it tackles issues or can communicate knowledge to to people more easily but i think it's it's uh, you know this points into a problem as you point out there that's just not that's beyond just the bbc yes the bbc has a responsibility in ensuring that it's um, information is as clear and not giving um, anything that could be confusing but also at the same time you have to look at education policy thinking well if education doesn't necessarily mean that people are aware of the issues that actually drive the economy then perhaps you have to go to the root of it rather than trying to have catch up with everybody as adults and I think it's interesting I think when I look back at my maths not to not to now have a go at the teachers who taught me maths but to think that the basics of what I have to do as an adult, like working out my self-employment, sorting out my tax, uh, working out these sort of big quick calculations, such things like invoicing, starting a business, etc. You're not taught at school. You're having to basically make it up as you're going along when you're an adult. And I sometimes wonder, you know, maybe the economic illiteracy issue could be actually based around wider issues than just the BBC's reporting. Uh, well, Charlotte, the report was commissioned, as Scott said, by the BBC uh, as part of a 10-phase impartiality plan. Jeez, 10 phases. Uh, what, what do we know about all of these uh, phases and, and their impartiality plan? Yeah, well, as Scott said, it's basically, it really is Tim Davies' pet project. Um, and I think it is very important, but it's sort of one step of many. So, you know... It's, it's very much a day-to-day -day thing that's going on as well, um, rather than these sort of overriding reviews of looking at things 
more individually social media of course has been a major part of it and um, how much their journalists are allowed to say on social media and even people like Gary Lineker there's been a bit more um, contentiousness around his tweets even though he's not a news journalist per se um, and then Jeremy Vine Radio 2 presenter him tweeting about cycling all the time sometimes he gets in rows with people and sometimes uh, there was one where they said yeah he'd gone a bit too far so that's definitely still an issue that is sort of ready to blow up any time I just wanted to add to what you were saying before about the fact that it's you can't just pin it all on the BBC you know even this report did say um, many of their critiques could apply at least equally to other UK media so I think I wonder if there's a wider issue around um, journalism training as well um, you know if we're saying that maths and economics teaching at school maybe isn't as comprehensive in a real life sense as it should be, then often people go into, maybe straight into a journalism job or through some training, but that's not really, in my experience, and I did a couple of different types of qualification, um, that's not really something that's a major part of it, unless you do a really specialised business journalism thing, but obviously lots of people don't do a specialism and then maybe specialise later. And I think just at no point that training happens, so maybe um, it's incumbent on the BBC and other major publishers to introduce that to their journalists. But yeah, I do think it's a major issue because um, you know they're saying they don't they they're saying they lack understanding, but they're also saying they lack confidence. That will just come across to viewers and listeners, and and that it maybe in itself will undermine trust just if if they're not confident in anything that they're saying. Are we in the media all just a bunch of arts graduates? And that's and that's the that's the problem. Scott, what was your degree in? Politics. Oh, okay. Um, right. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> I mean, I, I I managed to get through politics just about. May I say that? So that's why I never went anywhere else with it. Charlotte, what was yours? Oh, mine was music. So about as arty farty as you can get. <laughs> Well, I did a wanky media arts degree, so maybe I've found the perfect job for that degree. Um, Well, sticking with newsrooms, uh, BuzzFeed announced last week it's going to be using uh, everyone's favourite, ChatGPT, an AI technology made by OpenAI, to generate new content. Scott, you're at BuzzFeed for quite a while. Do you think your high-quality work could be replaced by a robot? I mean, you are asking an ex-employee who left there four years ago. Along with many other people at the time. So what can I say? Um, it, this is like talking about an ex, isn't it? It's weird. <laughs> I would say that a reason why BuzzFeed was so good at that point in time and the reason why it had so much reach was not just because it knew um, how to have quizzes and ideas that really related to people. It was just because it was a really young um, and ambitious set of people who were able to do whatever they wanted and would try stuff out. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very thankful for them because I was able to um, cr- uh, carve the niche of writing about TV for the very f- first time, find an audience, and basically fail and just try things. So, so I think that to some parts of BuzzFeed, AI content could make sense because if you have quizzes, for example, and you can kind of crack a formula to get people onto the site and have many different variations automatically ready to go, great. But I think the idea or an idea that viewers would be happy to read endless AI generated content, 
I'm not so sure they would because I think people went onto BuzzFeed um, along with many other websites because of the writer, because of the idea, because of what they were able to do that was funny, creative, wacky. You know, sometimes it was reporting on what was elsewhere on the internet. But mm. I think at some points, half of the stuff on there were at least people's own ideas being thrown against that. And you can't really replace that with a bot. And if you can, I'm a bit worried if you can, to be honest. Well, Charlotte, this is sort of one of your media predictions already kind of coming true. How would you feel about AI coming into Press Gazette? Or or have you replaced all your journalists with bots already? Wahaha, it's just me left. (laughs) No, um... Well, thank you for pointing out already that I was right. No. (laughs) Um... (laughs) I think Scott kind of nailed it in the sense that what the AI bots can't replace is original thought and um, going out and getting new information and new ideas. So they can be good um, for collating um, data and information that's already out there. And some publishers do already use it, like um, uh, PA and others like that for stuff like crime data and financial data and sports results and sort of building that into a simple story um that's all you need and you can then use resources to do more in-depth stuff like that's fine so some uses of ai are already happening and without panicking everybody because Mm. they're fine this sort of chat gpt that is worrying people more is just because they could they're writing whole things you you mentioned about using a press gazette chat gpt is not going to go and interview the um, I don't know, the CEO of DMGT or whatever it is, or, you know, if it did somehow, it's not going to be able to pick out the interesting things or or what that means and things like that. So ultimately, um, I don't think it's a big thing to worry about at the moment. It is interesting because it is pretty good. This is, the, I mean, we're all used to using these things over the years and everything's been pretty crap, uh, but it's not bad. I mean, we have on, on Fun Kids... Um, the, the radio station that I'm involved with. We've, on our website, we have top tens, top tens about things. And we did some testing with it. And it's it's not bad at coming up with, you know, 10 different facts that you might then write around or, or, or do stuff with. So p- potentially it's a tool. Though CNET, who are a bit of a user of, of AI, uh, once this was revealed, uh, they s- kind of everyone dived in and saw quite a few errors. So they've kind of put it on pause. Um, Scott, is there like a responsible use of, of AI journalism? I was um, listening to Komodo Mayo's podcast last week, where as a stunt, they had one of their letter correspondents into the show was written by a um, a chat AI bot, and they weren't able to recognise which was the letter Mm. that was actually read out from what it was being fake. So I think there's something about duping people into thinking that something is real and created when it actually hasn't because that feels unsettling so in forms of journalism i think in any form where it is automated it was going to come out about um anyway such as you know creating the weather having a weather report for Mm. example just the basics i can see that moving into that space but i think i feel uncomfortable if it is getting to the case where you are not able to distinguish whether it's coming from a, a journalist or whether it's coming from a bot you know this is the blurriness between the two is where i kind of find a bit a bit uncomfortable i was just going to say i think chat ai have just uh, revealed a tool where you can paste content in and it'll tell you uh, how ai it is uh, which i think will, will be be quite interesting charlotte i mean when when this was announced from buzzfeed um investors did seem pretty happy because stock uh, jumped as high as 200 <laughs> percent um do they just think brilliant we can we can cut costs 
I mean, yeah, as I was saying before, obviously one of the things that people are doing to cut costs right now is getting rid of human <laughs> journalists and other workers. So if cynical media bosses can get rid of people and save money, then, you know, they'll think, wow, and sort of not not stop to see what the issues are. Just wanted to add on you, you talking about this um, tool that OpenAI has created to recognise what um, is AI text. They've said themselves that it's not fully reliable and <laughs> it, it's classified correctly identifies 26% of AI written text as likely AI written while incorrectly labelling human written text as AI written 9% of the time. So yeah, I th I'm still quite sceptical of that as well. But I think... Um, the key thing is transparency. Like one of the things that CNET annoyed people with when they first realized what CNET had been doing was um, that it hadn't been labeled super clearly. And then they introduced um, sort of a clearer byline. So I think as long as you tell the readers, they can make their own choice about it. Um, otherwise, you're going to risk losing trust at a time when trust is sort of more important than ever before with all the misinformation and disinformation out there as well. Well, still on news, uh, this week, the News Movement, which is a news organisation led by um, former editorial director of the BBC, Kamal Ahmed, um, has purchased a video journalism platform called The Recount, which is American that you might have kind of seen in, in, in your social feeds, to sort of aid their aim to kind of create a sort of TikTok for news that had already been producing uh, their own videos. Again, Charlotte, you talked about vertical video in your predictions. Um, you're going to be like the fastest winner of predictions ever. This is quite a, a big investment firm. It wasn't revealed how much uh, they paid for it. But tackling video, vertical video head on, uh, it's probably a bright thing to do. Yeah, I think the news movement are being very clever in that they are, um, they've really positioned themselves as the expert in that space. And they haven't been around that long, um, only just over a year now. And um, they only just officially launched their own brand sort of a couple of months ago after Time and Beta. But they've already done deals with other publishers like AP and National World as well to sort of do social media stuff for them. So they're sort of... The news movement are basically saying we've employed some really great young people and Gen Z that can do amazing TikTok. They know all about it. They've got the experience of Kamal Ahmed and the former Dow Jones CEO, Will Lewis, as well. He's the chief executive. Um, so basically, they're sort of selling themselves as a package of people who are the experts on um, reaching young audiences for news now. And yeah, a lot of that's through vertical video. Um the big problem, though, is um, aside from their partnerships and deals, just for pu straight publishers, TikTok still doesn't make money, basically, apart from maybe some brand branded content. So we've just done an interview with um, the lead at Lab Bible um, on Instagram mm. and TikTok, and she said that basically, although they're the biggest news publisher on TikTok um, with all of their different accounts and some of them are news some are more entertainment um you know they're not making any money off of it but she's basically saying we will be ready for if they switch on some sort of monetization so yeah over the past 12 months has been a massive growth of publishers using tiktok but they're sort of readying themselves to be able to make money but it's not there yet so that's that's the big thing to be aware of 
I mean, Scott, I look at my uh, TikTok feed uh, and there's definitely more kind of news content on there. Obviously, the algorithm is uh, profiling me as it sees what, what I hang around and look at. I think traditional broadcasters are getting better, but it's still a bit crap, isn't it? I mean, it's a lot of catch up, but this is the thing. I think the news movement are positioning themselves well because they're having journalists who know. And I think it's just the case with many um, of the, like, the generation coming through know that at the heart of being a journalist, you have to be able to write good text. You have to now be good at making video. You also have to be good at editing video as well as doing audio and doing visual journalism. And I think having a company that positions that at the heart of it, where I think you would have to be kind of very much beyond one certain form of media and have to be kind of a generalist in, in all of them, I think is, is where journalism is going. And I think a lot of organisations now and a lot of um, media titles are, are looking for, for journalists who are capable of doing many di- different things and many different skills. Because as you know, we're, we've been at the mercy, particularly with digital media having the difficulties in advertising and the 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 loss of jobs that things will have to change quite quickly so you have to be positioning yourself as a journalist kind of quite well to adapt to a very fast changing market so i think an organization that that is able to adapt um uh, could actually be quite fortuitous for themselves is, is really i think help investing in in young talent and investing in where that young talent's going to head next Thanks both. Don't go anywhere. Uh, We've got Adam Bowie on hand to update us on the latest Rajar results. Plus, we'll be back for the media quiz. Uh, We'll see you in a moment. Joining me is Rajar Supremo, Adam Bowie. Hello, Adam. Hey, Matt. It's good to be back. So recording this Wednesday early evening, Rajar data comes out, uh, came out at half past 10 this morning. Have you had enough time to glance through the millions of lines of data to find out some uh, Rajar goss? I have, yeah. I've had a, a good sort of look at the overall numbers. Um, I was having a bit of a look at, I don't know whether you've looked at it yet, but to talk radio's figures. And obviously, in the last few quarters, uh, the new talk radio is sort of talk TV, a lot of simulcast. Uh, And I looked at how the 7pm to 11pm shows, basically the big shiny ones with Piers Morgan and co, how they did on the radio. And the answer is pretty badly. I mean, it's every quarter it's gone down and down and down uh, for that, for for those um, presenters. Um, Do you think that is just the problem of a TV show being on the radio? I don't know. I mean, part of it might be where are you likely to be at that time in the evening? You know, you're probably more likely to be available to watch. So if I really want to watch some of those sort of Piers Morgan and things, I can put on the television and and watch it rather than listen to the radio. I think, you know, it's interesting seeing this experiment of GB News trying to be two things at once. And we know there was a little Ofcom rap for GB News fairly recently because they put something on screen, but they didn't voice it. So technically they broke the election rules, I think, on the radio Mm. rather than on the TV. But I think it's really interesting, you know, trying to work out whether the the costs, the the cost gain is, is there in terms of, you know, Probably coming from a TV world, putting yourself on DAB is probably super cheap in the scheme of things. But, you know, I think a, a lot of times many of us have wondered why LBC hasn't done this going the other way because they visualise themselves brilliantly. But actually, if you think about it, you know, how much is it going to cost for them to go on Freeview and on Sky and on Virgin mm-hmm. Media and so on? And actually, they probably think 
I don't know, for a couple hundred thousand, it's not going to trouble Barb enormously. We might as well stick with what we're doing and, um, you know, utilise our fantastic studio in social media for, for clip sharing. Well, just looking at GB News, they had a great book last quarter, which was 414 reach, uh, and they've dropped down to 306,000, which is a bit closer to kind of where they were to start with. So I think they'll probably be disappointed with that, though I think maybe last quarter was just a bit peaky uh, for them. But it's news is hard. I mean, Times Radio, just kind of looking at their numbers, uh, not bad uh five six two slightly up on last quarter which was five four two i mean i think that they would hope to be nearer a million than half a million i mean all these stations have a lot of people on them and need production and they're expensive to run yeah i was comparing and contrasting them a little bit with say what boom radio is doing where who've, mm. who've got you know actually they've had a really good book and um there's a lot of presenters that are sort of doing their stuff there, but it's you know it's a considerably cheaper operation to run, I would imagine, than Times Radio, and you know that's in spite of you know they've got good marketing. You know, I think even this morning on the way to work, I saw a nice Times Radio ad. They've got you know the might of News UK behind them. I'm sure they'd like to be closer to a million at this point. But news is difficult. You've got a lot of options now. I think in this space, LBC is the big beast and they're still doing enormously well. Five Live obviously does a decent amount of that. And then you've kind of got the more serious stuff on Radio 4. And then, you know, at the other end, I guess you've got your talk radios and um, GB newses. You know, it's a, it's a crowded, it's a increasingly crowded space. I mean, what's kind of interesting for Boom, so they did just over half a million listeners uh, this quarter, 531,000, which is great. But their average hours is huge. They have 11 average hours. Yeah. So it's the amount of time people spend with the radio station. There's kind of four stations to get 11, which is Radio 4, Radio 2, LBC, and now Boom, which means their total hours, and this is what radio stations use to kind of sell advertising, is stonking. So they're at 5.8 million total hours, which kind of compared to, you know, even Times Radio, which is, you know, pretty good average hours times radio is 3.4 million and even something like the whole virgin radio network is only 11 million so boom is half the size of virgin radio stations all with chris evans so they've done a good job by finding an audience that's ignored by everybody the older audience who love listening to the radio and, and talking to them i think they've monetized it pretty well bauer sell their linear ads global with dax sell their digital ads i mean they'll probably end up profitable faster than uh, any of the the news uk stations i i would have thought i've no doubt uh they're they're savvy operators over over there at boom i'm sure they're ahead of their business plan with those kind of hours the thing is when you reach a certain level you begin to get added to schedules i mean that's the thing mm. and the hours in particular have really grown there and uh they just you know it's a, it's a it's an impressive story Thanks, Adam, for joining us. If people want more of your radar, they can get it from your blog. They can just visit adambowie.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And we're back, Charlotte and Scott here for part two, uh, and we're looking at even more numbers, this time in streaming. British households have cancelled more than 2 million subscriptions to services like Netflix, Prime Video and Disney Plus last year. And that's the first annual decline since the streaming revolution really kicked in. Scott, do these numbers tell us anything? Is it a surprise? Is it an inevitability? What do you think? Well, I think that we were certainly at the peak of TV subscriptions prior to the cost of living crisis. I think the cost of living crisis obviously having a big impact on household spending has made people decide to go and cut back. Um, and I think they have in a in a large way. And I think it's either been a decline in such as Netflix or a slowdown with uh, companies that are still adding subscribers such as Disney Plus. But at the end of a TV festival, you know, we were talking about this. We, we were predicting mm. that there was going to be a slowdown and we are now in one. I think there's there's many things here. I think one, I hate saying this, but it's true. TV is not uh a necessity it's it's what? an add-on we all have to pay i know but we, but we all have to pay a tv license so the worst case scenario for for many people is thinking well there's thousands of shows available on psbs particularly still mm. on demand for me and and of course the bbc itv and channel 4 are still creating a great amount of hits and have their own streaming services or are, are updating them constantly so so there's that i think with netflix and the streamers they are playing the long game you know they were all saying at edinburgh kind of i guess for seeing where it was going to go to say look you know we aren't worried about this um we have plans to still spending a lot of money and content over the next few years i think they're hoping to ride it out i think this is the idea will people get quite used to not having as many subscription services that maybe they kind of just don't really bother to resubscribe will we get to a case as has happened in america where we start having a lot of consolidation or are we going to get to a point where maybe some big providers go, you know what, why are we spending money on TV in the first place when we could be doing something elsewhere? I mean, I'm not saying that this will likely happen with the big companies like Amazon yet, but perhaps some that were spending as much of it might be thinking, well, we've got lots of other parts of the business that are doing quite well. We'll we'll just cut cut back on TV for the long while. So it's it's a bit of a mixed blessing, I'd say. The interesting thing I think is with with TV, you know, it takes a year, more than a year from the idea of somebody, you know, pitching in a room to it being on for TV. Mm. So will that have an impact on the shows that we watch? I reckon we won't really know for about maybe another year or so, because that's when people will be starting to, to work out how much cash they've got and whether they think it's worth the investment. 
So, Scott, if you could only keep two streaming services, these are the pay ones, <laughs> uh, which ones would you oh. keep? What, what would make the cut? I'm going to alienate a lot of people who might be listening <laughs> from different streaming services who might be working for them. Um, I mean, all streaming services have good stuff. I think mm. my belief has always been, and sorry, this is a rubbish answer for you, Matt, <laughs> always go by for show. Don't go by the streaming service because... Yeah you can find fantastic programs pretty much on any platform and you do i'd say i've been very impressed by apple tv plus mm. because um they've chosen really well you know jay hunt who used to run channel four is now running the british arm but even if you look at their shows by america from america they obviously have have duds everyone does but the amount mm. of hits that they've been able to create from such a small amount of shows commissioned is just phenomenal and to do that in such short amount of time and they had everyone's expectations of them starting in this business were so low mm. so i would say i'd keep that i mean I, i'd also say it's interesting in terms of what sky are doing because sky are um you know there's there's a the whole plan about what will happen when hbo's deal with them well, this, this is what I, was, what I was gonna gonna say i think if i was thinking about my consumption yeah. i consume a lot of hbo shows and there, there's a lot of really yes. good hbo shows and obviously at the moment they're in as part of sky because they've got a longish term deal but when yes you know, i would have thought they would want to launch hbo max here or whatever the new discovery version of hbo max is in a couple of years time i mean that's going to be a big hole in sky's offer isn't it if that goes ahead well i i remember from the Edinburgh tv festival that when sky was asked about this they say that they reckon that there will be some deal going forward mm. i guess after it gets to the end of 2024, so 2025, will it be an exclusivity deal? Like at the moment in the UK, the only way you can watch HBO is from watching Sky. Mm. You will wonder if it will affect Sky, if you can then watch programs someplace else, or maybe they'll have it for an exclusive window before going to another provider. I think it's, it's interesting how Sky are now making deals with everybody, you know, mm. trying to keep everybody happy. Like they, I think you can now watch it for free if you've got Discovery Plus on a certain platform or... Um, and and it'll be interesting too with you know BT Sport and and Discovery um, sort of becoming a lot more closer together. What that will mean in terms of uh, deals being offered out there. So yeah, it's all going to be consolidation and a bit depressing. <laughs> Charlotte, which um, which two services would you keep if pushed? So you give me a few minutes to think about it. So thank you. <laughs> but uh, I think I would have to go with Disney Plus because Disney owns like everything now <laughs> so you get a lot of that and obviously with the sort of star bit within it there's sort of some more mm. adult stuff so there's like a lot there's a lot on there now so for quantity that's good and i think i would also say i'd have to keep sky from you know in some form whether it's sky itself or now or whatever mm. yeah and i i totally agree with you on on disney plus i think they're UK commissions have been really interesting. Um, and they're also, I think they had one called Extraordinary just out last week. And it's fantastic. Like a whole new set of young actors coming through. Uh, great new writing talent um, done by Sally Woodward Gentle, who was the executive producer of Fleabag. I think it will be one of the big hits of the year. And it's not what you expect from Disney at all. Thanks both. Uh, now it's time for the media quiz. And uh, in honour of Adam Bowie talking about the Ray Jars, we're playing a radio themed game on air or off air. Uh, I've got three questions about changes to the airwaves. So if you know the answer, buzz in with your name. So Charlotte, you will say. Charlotte. And Scott, you will say. <laughs> Scott. Hello. Right. Fade us up. Uh, off we go. Uh, question number one. Which former culture secretary will be going on air hosting a weekly show on talk radio and talk TV? 
Scott, Scott. Uh, Nadine Doris. Uh, she's kicking off uh, this Friday with a one-on-one interview with her BFF, uh, uh, ex-Prime Minister Boris Johnson. She didn't make a great start on the sort of pilot of this a few a, a month ago, did she? No, no, no. She she had difficulty with, with the auto cue. Um, there's this bizarre moment when she talks about a Channel 4 programme with a guest who she also gets their name wrong. So so I think that it's certainly kind of highlighting the difficulties of life broadcasting. I guess the, the main thing I think about all of this is that that would mean that like you had Jacob Rees-Mogg and Nadine Doris both be announced by rival opinionated, mostly right wing networks. Uh, well, um, over in just two days. Mm. And that would mean that along with, I think, Philip Davis and Esther McVeigh, you've essentially gotten one um, uh, one channel alone, you know, three very senior Tories basically going directly from politics straight over to broadcasting. So you sort of wonder what the implications of that will be. I mean, a, a lot of these channels still have not really, I think, cut through in a large way with ratings. They're very rarely going over 100,000, even in peak time, occasionally beating BBC and Sky News in some slots. But remember, you know, those are channels that are spending a lot more online anyway and aren't really expecting a large audiences at those times anymore. So so I think you're you're really going to be wondering, you know, where's this going to go? Because I think these channels are really hoping that they get big audiences and and yet I just don't think they've really ever delivered. I just don't think there's enough um kind of people who are so into the sort of right wing ecosystem uh to generate to generate the audience i think if you're in the ecosystem you think there's loads of people there but most people particularly in media consumption because they've been trained this way are pretty are pretty centrist well i think it's just the tradition very quickly that that we have in our country that you would read the papers for opinion and then you would go to watch tv to have somebody from the right and somebody from the left and a politically neutral presenter it's very very hard to shake off that sensibility in the u.s is opposite and newspapers tend to be pretty impartial generally and then the um uh, the tv channels are the ones that are very opinionated generally you know like msnbc fox news and so forth and i think british audiences look at fox news and look at msnbc and go oh does that really help discourse having such opinionated channels on either side and I think that's why they've not really caught on. People don't like the implications that has, I think, on, on the country's discourse. I think also most people would just rather watch EastEnders. Uh, right, question two. Uh, which, BBC, <laughs> which BBC radio station will be going off air after 85 years? Charlotte. Charlotte. Which one? BBC Radio Arabic. And it's part of yes. all the big cuts to the World Service they announced in September. Yes, that's right. So the World Service uh, has to save uh, twenty-eight and a half million pounds by closing its Arabic and Persian radio stations. That's part of their half a billion pound target for cuts, which is huge. Um, a lot of broadcasters and journalists have, have expressed sadness um, at the closure, um, and it might even be, you know, there might be some strikes connected to that as well as as well as BBC Local Radio. Um, I mean, Charlotte, the BBC has to make some cuts. It has to make some choices. If the government want this, then should should you know the Foreign Office pay for it rather than license fee payers? Yeah, that's a big question. They've done big payments in the past. I think maybe it is their place. It's almost that soft power thing, isn't it? It's not really for UK license fee payers. It's for people internationally. So 
maybe because of that, yeah, that it should have a different funding. But as it stands, the BBC does have to make cuts because it doesn't have enough money to do everything it's trying to do. And unfortunately, there's quite a few difficult situations, both around the UK, as you said, with the local radio right now and elsewhere. Uh, So one point apiece. It's all down to this one. Question number three. uh, Which radio station is at risk of a fine from Ofcom for turning off its AM service early? Charlotte. Scots. Oh, Charlotte just uh, was there first. Charlotte, what what, what was the answer? (laughs) Is Absolute Radio, which is actually my work from home station of choice. Oh. Uh, but I imagine not listening on AM. <laughs> no, no. Sorry to the AM lovers, but no. I'm so relieved I didn't get this answer right because I genuinely didn't understand the story and I was hoping that you would be able to explain it, Matt, being kind of the audio wizard that you are. Well, um, yeah, so this is this is Bauer who notified Ofcom that it was turning off all of its AM transmitters that broadcast Absolute Radio across most of the UK uh, late last month. Obviously, Absolute's available on digital radio across the country. It was previously available on FM in London before it gave up its frequency uh, to Greatest Hits Radio. Uh, but a very small proportion of its audience still listened on 12.15am and associated frequencies. Uh, and it's really expensive to broadcast on AM because of all the electricity you need. And right now, electricity prices very high so they were probably paying over a million quid a year uh, to broadcast to less and wow. less people um, so they they sort of returned their license uh, to Ofcom the national you know, national AM license uh, but I think Ofcom have just realized that in the legislation there might be some rules about you know not doing what you're supposed to be doing and might get fined though even if the fine is like 50 grand they're, they're probably that's probably like a month's worth of electricity bills so i don't think they'll be uh, they'll be that bothered uh, i was reading about this and the last people that got into this same trouble was teletext who basically decided to not broadcast anymore as people was moving to digital tv and they just they just broadcast loads of ads on teletext without any TV guides and they got fined. But again, I think we're happy to pay the money uh, and to just not do what they were supposed to do. Uh, so congratulations, Charlotte, you're the winner. Uh, you win a national AM network to do what you want with, but you also get the bill as well. Thanks to everyone for joining us this week. Scott, where can people uh, find you and your writings? Everything I just tweet about. So you can find me at, at ScottyGB. Uh, and Charlotte, where can people keep up with uh, your musings? Stuff about the media on PressGazette. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Co.uk or I'm on Twitter at Charlotte Tobit. Thanks both. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much for sticking with us to the end of the show. We hope you enjoyed it. And remember, there's just a few simple things you can do to support us. Don't skip this bit. Don't fast forward. Don't go to your next podcast. Uh, If you haven't already, why not become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash mediapod, as well as paying for this and ensuring that we can pay our producers and and take us to interesting places. You'll get access to an archive of deep dive interviews with media experts. Go and be a supporter, please, at patreon.com 
patreon.com slash media pod and if you don't do that and you know why wouldn't you do that you must it's the law uh, you must give us a plug just go and find us on twitter or linkedin uh, and give a retweet about the show and tell all of your followers how much you love us it's that encouragement which gets people to listen and they can subscribe as can you in their podcast app of choice or just go to podfollow.com slash the media podcast my name is matt deegan the producer was phoebe adler ryan with support from matt hill and it was a rethink audio production we'll see you next week <laughs>